There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are The Marvelists. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain The World at War. And in a full security laboratory, frail Steve Rogers became Captain America, the American super soldier. For four thrilling years, he struck back at the Axis's treacherous attack until a freak stroke of fate threw him into suspended animation to awaken in the mid-1960s, a man 20 years out of his time. Since that day, Captain America has sought his destiny in this brave new world. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the topic matter at hand for today's episode, which has to do with a certain... Red, white, and blue star-spangled Avenger. Yeah, he's 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 a captain. I think he, Captain Not... Crunch, right? Oh. <sighs> Why does he have those eyebrows on his hat? He's not the Captain and Tennille either. <laughs> <laughs> not Captain Jack Sparrow or Harkness. So wow. okay. So that was anyway. part of his whole getup. So that's what they did when they created him. So what eyebrows on a hat? Why not? That's dumb. It's comics. No, it's cereal. Anything's possible. <laughs> it's cereal. Captain Crunch's cereal, Eddie. Yeah. Anyway, how can people find us on social media? Well, first off, give us a like ski on Facebook. If you want to, give us a follow on there at facebook.com slash TheMarvelists. You can also find us on the Twitter machine at the Marvelists. Myself, at Peter Melnick. Moi, at EWilson959. You can also find us on Instagram, at the Marvelists, And also drop us an email for our eventual mailbag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Give us some comments, questions, stories, anything. We want to hear from you people. And also, as of this episode, as of this recording, as we record it on February 2nd, we are now on Stitcher. So, in addition to finding us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, you can also listen to us anywhere in the world on the Stitcher radio app, available for all iOS and Android devices. So if I'm in Outer Mongolia and I say, I think I want to listen to the MCU, The Marvelous. Even if you're on a holiday in Cambodia, 
you can listen. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think if that mailbag does well, we'll have to expand it and do a female bag. <laughs> okay. It could happen. Just yeah, saying. It could happen. Think but about it. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Okay. Thinking, thinking, yeah. But anyway, so... Since our last recording, we actually are going to be doing a double shot of episodes over the next few days. So we have, you know, somebody's going on vacation, I believe, to Tahiti. So Uh Fiji. Oh, the Polynesian Islands. Yeah, the one where you don't remember where you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait. So are you going to Cheeseburger in Paradise? (laughs) Where Where are we going? We're spinning the vacation (laughs) wheel and see where we land. Bronson, Missouri. It'll be. It'll be warm. It won't be below sixty. But yeah, the Fahrenheit um, scale. So you'll be away for a little bit. We're going to have some episodes already in the can. This one and the next one, which is the Avengers a assemble. But we're going to be doing some things. But in the meantime, let's get some of that news out. This this is going to be some stuff that's going on right now. And the biggest and honestly only one right now. Well, Stan Lee just got out of the hospital as of this recording and he had a irregular heartbeat. And on top of that shortness of breath. Kind of hurt seeing that Facebook uh, update, not going to lie, getting me worried, you know, that he was in the hospital. I think he was in, uh, well, less than 24 hours, so there is good to be had in that in that respect. I don't know if we'll get more. I would hope that we would get more information or that if it's not publicly released, that it can be uh, requested, asked for, sent in via email, and the way that goes nowadays, and maybe Telegraph we can get pictures. To whatever it takes, Morse code even. <laughs> Smoke signals. Dots and dashes, that's all it is. <laughs> But yeah, he ended up going to the hospital for that whole situation and immediately was released. And because it's Stan the Manly, what is he doing this weekend? Conventions. He's out and about. He's not slowing down. If he can possibly help it. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you know, if you're at your local convention and Stan Lee is somehow there, you know, go see him. Shake the man's hand. We've both been fortunate enough to meet one of the major architects of the Marvel Universe. And being able to do so... It is it is an experience because you you know he's got that aura to him even in like a quick little photo op he's still got that aura it's cool he does he does and it's just wonderful to see to see him I mean it's already several years and I saw him I think he was only eighty nine at the time I now saw he him just hit ninety five I saw him when I think he was eighty nine or ninety but this was I believe New York Comic Con twenty thirteen okay and I saw him at the uh, Big Apple Con. Which is the name of it now, but I think then it was the New York Comic Book Marketplace across from Madison Square Garden. The Garden. Yeah. With this whole issue that's going on with Stan, you know, it's it sucks, but hopefully, you know, he bounces back and lives to be 195,000. It's a heck of a number. It is. It really is. The thing, the thing overall with, you know, with the situation is the outpouring of support immediately after it was said. And you just see, like prayer circles you see all this crazy stuff and it's just the coolest thing you know people love stan regardless of anything it's stan that's been out there negative or other yeah this is something this is somebody who yeah like you said architect put together part of a lot of people's childhood and imaginations exactly right so maybe even more so i don't want to compare and contrast but mr rogers there's another one and so yeah, people are going to respond with with that compassion. I think reaction to it, and Walt nobody's Disney. saying anything. Yeah, there you go. Same idea, right? So we wish him nothing but the best, and hope to see him soon, and uh, hear nothing but good things. I definitely want to meet Stan at another con, just because. Because mm. again, it's Stanley. You know. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, if I don't get two, that's fine. I can say that I did, and I have the picture to prove it. Damn right. Same here. Yeah. Now, the next and final topic before we get into our movie at hand for today. There's a bit of a kerfluffle going on the internet right now regarding the movie Black Panther. And it's not even out. Yeah. Apparently there is a group of DC Comics fans out there who have been scorned over the fact that DC movies are getting ranked lower in the Rotten Tomatoes Tomometer, whatever it's called. Tomometer sounds good. And they believe that Disney is buying off the reviews from critics. (laughs) Because I don't know. Now, here's a little... Here's a little secret, people. Do you know who owns Rotten Tomatoes? Warner Brothers. Uh Do you know who Warner Brothers owns? DC Comics. Mm -hmm. Now, one more thing. Rotten Tomatoes is a review site aggregator, meaning no one actually works. The reviewers don't really work for Rotten Tomatoes. They work for themselves. Like the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these different places. And what Rotten Tomatoes does is they compile these reviews and they give it a score based on whether it's a good movie or a bad movie. If the review is bad, it's a rotten review. If it's a good review, it's a fresh review. And no one seems to understand how this site works. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to have to start pulling out sock puppets for this, you know, to help explain this eventually, but... We need the visual for that, then. We might. We're just going to have, you know... So, these fans feel that because apparently, quote-unquote, The Last Jedi was terrible, even though critics gave it a a ton of great reviews. (laughs) And by the way, I saw The Last Jedi. Saw it twice in theaters. I liked it. So... I don't care. But, Eddie, you saw it too. And if I remember Not like you saw it like that, but no, opening night in a local, a local theater in Sullivan County. And you liked it, right? Uh, very much, yeah. yeah. A lot of stuff going on there. A lot of ties to other threads that were, you know, and references rather, that were made throughout. So hopefully you've, you know, and up to date on all the movies. I definitely would need another watch to pick up more and so on, yeah. I have to tell you, though, you've seen people online talking about it with Star Wars about Snoke, right? The uh, yeah, not not enough to, to stop and read. But, well, but yeah. I have it on good authority of who Snoke actually is. Okay. Drum roll, please. Andy Serkis. Uh, huh? Andy Serkis. Okay. That's who the actor is. Not Andy Cap, like the. Uh, hey. Okay. Fonzie's back. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Now Joey Lawrence from Blossom is back. Whoa. Oh, Fonzie did a whoa also, you know. I think he, yeah, he did. Sure. Absolutely. But, but anyway, drift, going back over to the whole issue with Black Panther, there is apparently a really obnoxious movement going on by these fans where they want to give rotten reviews to Black Panther to lower its rating on Rotten Tomatoes for fan reaction. Goody. I'll be completely honest, it's one of the most juvenile things I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's interesting because every discussion of Black Panther on Reddit, for example, in the movie section of Reddit, those threads, those topic listings, get shut down because it delves into racist arguments, political arguments. And I'm just like, it's a movie about a guy who's a cat. Meow. (laughs) I mean, mind you, there's a lot about Black Panther. Like, I'm just, like, making it really simple for this, but... I understand the you know the complexities of what Black Panther is with this movie. Yeah, sure. Political, racial, and they're it, in there. 
it's going to be a very big deal. Like, you know, I, I've been hearing people go on saying, well, what, what about Blade? What about Blade? He was the first, you know, black superhero character first in a movie. First off, he wasn't because Blade is not a superhero. That's right. like saying, man, you know who is a great, you know, role model for these kids to watch as a superhero? The Punisher. Yeah. Punisher is not a superhero. He's what they call an antihero. So an antihero is Blade, the Punisher, Wolverine to an extent. Yes. You know? So they're not characters you look up to. Dead I love people that say Deadpool's a superhero. I've always found that to be one of the funniest things. Yeah. Yeah, and oxymoronic at the same time, kind of, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of fans going on saying that just all the stuff going on with Black Panther, and I, I'm one of those people that I feel Black Panther is a very big deal for movies. It is a very big deal because you'll hear people saying, well, what about the Falcon? What about War Machine? Those are minor characters. This is the first time in a movie, and then I hear also people go on saying, what about Meteor Man and Blank Man? Shut up. <laughs> Just shut oh, up. They had a comic book. Okay, limited at that. And like you said, Falcon, War Machine, in the sidekick category. Yeah. They Black were Panther not featured. Is taking the forefront in his own title, his own movie, and he had several runs somewhat short of his own comic book. That is Black Panther. So he had many Black Panther comics. Many. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. No question. He took over the Daredevil title. Yeah, I remember that for a little while. As the Man Without Fear, which changed. Oh, geez. Not the Man Without Fear, but it turned into a different slug line, I'm going to say, on the Daredevil comic book. You recall what it is? I don't. I actually don't at the moment. No. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, just a lot of, like, ridiculous infighting in the geek community that it kind of, it's really depressing me. Not going to lie, like it's, I'm watching all these people fighting, and I will admit, I've been a part of the infighting. Like I've, you know, if you ever see me on comicbook.com's Facebook page, I will, I will do hit punches, oh verbal hit punches. Oh boy. So. Let's leave it at that, shall we? Yeah. Thank you very much. So now, Eddie, let's get away from all that negativity. Let's get away from, you know, the depressing stories and stuff. Let's go over to our star-spangled hero himself. Shall we? Captain Ed Merica. Captain Ed Merica, as he has so poignantly named moi in costume. There's a picture that will be going on Facebook. You'll see the two incarnation costumes, one old school and one movie version Captain America costume. If you recall in the beginning, Captain America with a brighter color blue as part of his red, white, and blue ensemble. And, and the shield to go with it. And there's also a smaller smaller version of that. And, of course, the newer one and the Marvel Legends shield with the leather straps for better grip and sling ability, shield sling ability. <laughs> Not I, that I have. I find it funny that you have Captain America's shield, Iron Man's helmet, and Thor's hammer through the Marvel Legends line. Yeah. And yet I go, Eddie, are you thinking about getting Star-Lord's helmet? Oh, no, that's too far. <laughs> I'm not looking to be Star-Lord. <laughs> we have one of those in our vicinity. MCU. Yeah, definitely vicinity. This county's not big enough for two Star-Lords. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm positive, because I'm not getting a tattoo either. <laughs> true, true. My name's not Peter. So... Shall I go on? No. If you want, you can be Colossus. You called me Rodent. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my rocket. Trash Panda. <laughs> It's much worse. But with our topic at hand, 
What we're going to be talking about today is Captain America. And what we want to do for you, of course, as always, is give you a little bit of a backstory on the whole origin of Captain America, not just as, you know, a film character now, but also a comic character. So, Eddie, tell us more about the comic character Captain America created by Joe Simon and Jack King Kirby. Well, of course, it all starts in the comics, and it's wartime, World War II time, and there's a uh, possible race between the Americans and the Germans to create the ultimate super soldier. And go to the moon. Not yet. I'm still at least 20 years away from, from that happening. Da, comrade, we need, we need to, to go with a different country. <laughs> but just so they can uh, have the upper hand, the advantage in, in the war, and a serum is created in the movie Dr. Abraham Erskine creates that and experiments it on a German, Schmidt, his last name being, and it doesn't quite have positive results. There's a distortion, and maybe there's some mental acuity in question, stability. But then he's able to, with the help of Howard Stark, at least in terms of the movie, give this to Steve Rogers, a 98-pound weakling who apparently wants to serve in the war effort. He is sincere about it, has tried several times, has misplaced, or as as, uh, he has falsely put his hometown down a couple of places, whether it was New Haven or Paramus, which he's truly from Brooklyn, though. Or North Haverbrook. To try and uh, enlist. He cannot He cannot get in. So he's always getting the 4F uh, rating on, on his physical. Much like he does in the film. Exactly. That's it's. I'm drawing from the film to an extent here. But suffice to say that the serum works on him increases his physical mass, strength, durability, agility. He's not impervious. He's not invincible. He can still we, get kicked in the balls. <laughs> he, as we have found out in, in later later years. And the idea is to create an army like this. But that will not happen, whether it's the comic books or the movie. The serum is destroyed. The Germans uh, crossing into it being Hydra, wanting to steal that serum and so on. Captain America, Steve Rogers is the only one to be like this. What's interesting is in the opening of this episode, you heard the brief origin that I read, which, as much as I can find them, will be from the first page of a given comic book that we're dealing with, the movie. And this happened to be the 1970s, that it was read that it was 1941, the world at war. Steve Rogers, through a series of events goes into suspended animation and reawakens 20 years later. So it's the mid-1960s, a far cry from the movie where he's been sleeping for 70 years. Things had to be tweaked. Things had to be changed for, for the movie. Hell of a nap indeed. So when the comic book was out in the later on in the 60s, late 60s into the 70s and so on. Yeah, they brought him back as like an experiment. Like, could this work? Yeah. Exactly. And they were doing the same with Namor as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, right. He was instrumental in part in the comic book in this discovering of the frozen capsicle. <laughs> There's an early Avengers reference. So bring him up to speed. And, you know, it takes a while, of course, for him to adjust to, to the way life is now. But there's a difference there, again, in the time frame. But to make it more suitable for, for the viewing audience to have it be in, it be in modern uh, modern times. That's in a nutshell where it is. There are discrepancies. There have been other um, 
previous, prior to the 2011 Captain America, the first Avenger movie, such as the 1990 Matt Salinger character. And bef- before we get to that version, in Marvel Manor right now, you have an 8x10 of a actor playing Captain America on top of a red, white, and blue motorcycle. And this is from, I believe, the 1970s, correct? Yes, I think the late 1970s, uh, Reb Brown was Explain the- to us what that is about because like I've seen that for years I've never ever seen the actual video footage of it but I've heard about it yeah I believed it was a TV movie and just looking at the way it was and I vaguely remember seeing it at some point but just the style of the way it was done and, and again remembering scenes it's 70s cheese it reminds me yeah late 70s the same as the Spider-Man TV movie which I'm honestly surprised has never seen a home video released, even on VHS. Never even released on that. You know what? Maybe we'll have to get those as a, a combo pack. They'll they'll put them out like that. It would be cool. I mean, honestly, like this is the thing about Marvel. They're all about embracing their roots, whether that you know, you see it or not. It's you look at Marvel with their love of you know the 1960s stuff, the 70s stuff, 40s stuff, even you know. It's where it started with Marvel in this in this early 60s, yeah. And that's what I've noticed, like, you know, when they talk about the movies. They always do find a way to bring up Blade. Oh, it's so do you find a way to bring up Blade all the time, it seems. But... Well, it's true. You know, if it wasn't for Blade, we wouldn't really have a lot of this stuff. But So give the nod again. It's pretty sharp of you, Blade. To good old Wesley. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just an interesting thing. And to see that version of the character... And not even looking like how he's supposed to look, if we're being honest here. It's very more like Candy Cane with blue pants. Yeah, Candy Striper. Yeah, and it is it is a cool-looking costume to an extent of, like, cheese. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. Then it gets into the realm of hokey. Yeah. but Not the hokey pokey. Where you turn yourself around? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Now, anyway. Wow. You mentioned the, the Salinger version. Yes. Now, in the 1970s, 1980s, Stan the Man was going around Hollywood, like we said in an earlier episode, and selling off film rights, essentially. You know, you know, you should really make a movie about the Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Canon films. I know you guys make dog crap garbage, but you would really like the Spider-Man. And fun fact about that version, I doubt I'll remember to bring this up on our Spider-Man episode <laughs> for Homecoming, because it's going to be a while away. Yep. But Globus and Golan, the ones who were the founders of Canon films... Actually, when they heard Spider-Man, they thought it was a man who turns into a spider. Oh, my. Like, with eight legs and all that stuff. Well, well, you know. He does turn into a spider in one comic, kind of, but they actually thought it was, like, an evil movie. And I believe, like, one of the characters was, he gets turned into Spider-Man by a character called, and I swear I'm not making this up, Dr. Zork. Sure. It's so weird and, uh, and odd, so why not? So there was that. But, yeah, Stan was going around selling all the film rights to people. And Captain America ended up over at, I believe, 20th, 21st Century Films. Not 20th Century Fox. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he ended up going over. And this is actually 20th, 21st Century is the end result, believe it or not, of Canon Films. Oh, okay. So, and if you want to learn more about, you know, Canon Films and also 21st Century, I believe, check out the documentary Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. It's... One of the best documentaries I've ever seen huh. and one of the funniest. It tells you how, you know, absolutely bonkers one company could be and their sleazy origin to their sleazy demise. So definitely check it out. Consistency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now, Eddie, 
it was Matt Salinger, correct? The play Matt Salinger, yes, and the Who? director was uh, Albert Pyun, P Y U N. I just I made some notes. I watched it this past week to give myself some perspective and just to know that well, as bad as things can be, sometimes it can't be this bad. And from Lost in Space, Bill Mummy, or is it Mummy with one M, or M U M Y? Why not both? Played a role in in this as well. But the thing about this movie that's really interesting is the star, Matt Salinger. And who is he the son of? Mr. and Mrs. J.D. Salinger, the oh, writer JD. of Catcher in the Rye. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. So if, I don't know if, did you actually get to meet J. Or Matt Salinger? No. No, like, Red but, Brown from the TV movie version I did. He does do the convention circuit, if I remember correctly. Wow, okay. So if you want to meet the OG Captain America live action, well, second one, there you go. There you go. But tell us, like, I've never seen the movie. I actually own it on Blu-ray, of course, for some reason. <laughs> but tell us what you thought about that movie. For its time, I mean, I think the the quality of the production, not to say it goes back to a Roger Corman-esque type time frame. But boy, howdy, it is it was, close. But yeah, because it's it's carrying over from the 80s kind of thing in terms of how movies are being made. It's... It's got that feel to it with the way the characters are doing their lines and acting out their scenes. Uh, it's it starts. And boy, in, are they acting! <laughs> I've seen clips it's, of this movie. It's Italy, nineteen thirty-six, and a boy is kidnapped and taken to Nazi Germany, who winds up becoming the Red Skull. Seven years later, nineteen forty-three, they're talking about Project Rebirth, and out in Redondo Beach, California, we find Steve Rogers, who. Seems to have uh, a leg injury because he almost uh, is to the point where he needs to walk with a cane. But he's definitely uh, limping to some degree. And let me and tell he, you something: limping ain't easy. No, no, it ain't. And he's also smoke. He's also a smoker because he's a couple of times with and a, a cigarette. midnight toker. Maybe I. I don't know. Now he he also um, in part of uh, part of how this movie unfolds after he becomes. Captain America and how he goes into suspended animation he is uh, he's tied to a, a Nazi rocket that has of course the uh, the swastika on it and, so you and know it's Nazis the rocket is going to be to blow up the White House so that is its destination but he is able to I'm sorry without it's it's just somewhat painstakingly funny but just some of the things that happen so you can avoid watching the movie by me telling you what happens so here. I, I have to ask when the bad guys show up, do they have like the big curly mustaches, like you know, in the nineteen like twenties films? Like you just hear dueling pianos as it's they show up. Yeah, it's not where you read the words to it either. So oh, there, Lord. There, there's uh, there's there's sound here, but he is able to divert it, and it winds up landing uh, further up north. He lands in Alaska. Not that the the rocket. <laughs> I'm so gonna watch this movie. Not that now. it crashes and blows up or anything, but he is. You know, still tied to this rocket, and that's where it lands. Nobody knows it happened there, and so there's Cap on ice. There's also that's that's how you have it: served straight up yeah. or shaken, not stirred, whatever. Uh, also, of a little note on music aside, Southside Johnny does uh, two songs for this, and Ivan Neville. Not sure if related to Aaron Neville or not, but uh, those are the three songs that get credit. I don't know much. True story, my best friend, his dad hates Aaron Neville, and it's one of my favorite random hatreds of anyone oh, ever. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. 
And at the end of the movie, what was kind of interesting is that it said at the end of the credits, please support the Environmental Protection Act of 1990. It's just there what at the end of the What a random thing to go on a soapbox so for. Random. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So, because I like I when you were saying that, I was expecting a Captain America will return, something like that. And no, you go Environmental Protection Act of 1990. No, 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 no. And that would have been really, really. I guess like maybe they realize, yeah, this isn't going to work for us. We kind of, we kind of uh, crapped the bed on this one. <laughs> so, like, if it did say Captain America will return, a lot of people would have been like, oh, I'm sure. Kind of like the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> where literally the ending sets up a sequel that will never, ever happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, so That reminded me of History of the World Part 1, and that's all there was. Jews in space. <laughs> and a Viking funeral. Going over the issue with that movie. So that movie was, that was certainly a thing, wasn't it, for you? That's, yeah, that's all I'd say about that. To be honest, it took up about a quarter of a page <laughs> of note-taking on that. That, that. That's it. And for years, you know, they didn't do it. They ended up getting a deal with Artisan Entertainment. And then in the early 2000s, they were getting ready to do another one. And it kind of got halted because Joe Simon sued Marvel over the, you know, the rights to the character and the film rights and all this. And so they're like, well, crap. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. So around like 2005, 2006, they ended up getting a deal with Paramount. Paramount bought the rights to the character and enter the movie we have. And actually... Supposedly, at one point, Merrill Lynch actually helped Marvel out to do like a ten-picture thing. Wow, that's where a they big got run. they got like two hundred and twenty-five million dollars through Merrill Lynch to go towards making their movies. It's very interesting hearing some of this stuff with the Marvel Universe, you know, with their their film divisions. And so, this is number five in our release order, you know. So technically, first though. You know, because we're going with the whole aspect of this took place in 1940-something, yada, yada, yada. Hence the subtitle of The First Avenger. Which, by the way, in other countries, they would not call it Captain America. They would just call it The First Avenger. Yes, there's a thing about that. Because, like, I guess, like, other countries don't want to see a movie with that in the title, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever. But it's interesting because this is also not the first time a Marvel movie gets retitled overseas. Oh, absolutely. The Avengers, actually, in the UK, are called something completely different. They're called Avengers Assemble. That's what the first Avengers well, movie is called. That's why is where, that? Well, I think I know why, and I really hadn't seen it, but it was in the black and white 1960s that there was a British-made movie called The Avengers. Yeah, and it was a TV show as well, yes. Steed and Peel. And the interesting thing about that is this. So in America, they're, we're called the, they're called The Avengers, right? And in overseas, the movie Avengers Assemble, yada, yada, yada. In the United States, they've come out with Avengers comics based on Steed and Peel, the British characters. And they don't call them the Avengers due to confusion, you know? So, for example, a couple of years ago, DC Comics partnered up with Boom Studios to release a comic called Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel. And it wouldn't be called... As much as how many people would, like, you see that cover and just go, wait a, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Batman 66 meets the Avengers. Because oh, that's not the actual Avengers that everyone else is thinking of. No. Although, man, how cool would that be? Well, yeah, yeah, that's it. When universes collide. <laughs> I would be, dude, I would be absolutely 110% down for Batman 66 hanging out with Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Chris <laughs> Evans, all those guys. Hanging out as if you could. 
He could, you know. Right. I believe I believed in, you know, Adam West. He could have done, you know, done yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, so this movie ended up happening and we ended up getting somebody cast in this. And one of our questions that we were asked this week, Patricio Robayo ended up asking us, was it weird to see the Human Torch play Captain America? And yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, a few years prior, he was playing the role of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, in the Fantastic Four movies for 20th Century Fox and Constantin Films. Weird and, to me, upsetting. And I it, have to say, it, it, got, it was a gut punch. I thought, I know that there was press about who should it be, choose between these three people, whomever they had been, so on. But it was too soon that I remember seeing, you know, these two Fantastic Four films. Chris yeah, 2005 Evans, and 2007. Chris Evans, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. What if they do more later? What what can happen then? And now who's going to replace who? And yeah, what's the money? It's the many facets of what money can do, I suppose, or other factors that I just not am aware of. But eventually you get over it. So it would be confusing for those who are not indoctrinated into the films and see if if just seeing a Fantastic Four movie, then going to Captain America saying, what? What happened here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, but again, getting used to it. And now you can't see anybody else being Captain America but Chris Evans. This is true. And the one thing about it is, you know, he's not. this isn't the first time he played a comic book character either because he was Johnny Storm. He was his character in The Losers, and he was his character in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, okay. I know he's done other other roles. So you see, you know, this guy do all these different comic book-related roles, and it's essentially, it kind of, like, built up to this, like, eventually. Like, he did, you know, he went big first, then went smaller with The Losers, smaller with, you know, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and then, boom, Major Captain deal. America. Major deal. I think, and going back to the the... Difficulty I had with this transition from Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, to Steve Rogers, Captain America. I really thought, whatever you're going to say about these first two Fantastic Four movies in the 2000 decade, he, in his personality of Johnny Storm, fit it spot on. He wasn't taking himself seriously. He was looking at what he was doing for the fame it could bring about. He was a teenager, essentially. He was behaving as such. And that carried over, I think, from one or two other film roles that Chris Evans had done, where he was a, a high school character. Yeah, he was in type. Not Another Teen Movie. Okay, there you go. So this suited him, and, and it suit his the Johnny Storm of the comic book Human Torch personality. It fit. He went out, he wanted Party to animal. get the girls, he wanted to, you know, he got the hot shot, uh, souped Literal, up no car. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I need names and shots, right? Okay, from the end of the first movie. So it was a big step, maybe a risk, maybe more than maybe. More than go, a feeling. To go into that. Boston, thank you. But it worked. It grew. I just finished watching it with my wife the other night and said, she said, I could start this all over again. Watch it. Watch it again. Captain America? Yes, Absolutely. And yeah, he. It's definitely an interesting pick to choose him to play Captain America, you know? Yeah. And it paid off. But like, there are some people out there who feel other, like, certain parts of him don't work that well with this character. For example, comic creator Jim Steranko, who I've met on numerous occasions, he's gone on the record. And, you know, he would talk about 
Chris Evans as Captain America. He likes him, but mm-hmm. he doesn't play a strong Captain America, meaning, you know, very, like, inspiring and stuff like that. And to an extent, I do agree with him. Uh, yeah. Although, uh, mm-hmm. when we get Infinity War, that's going to be him at his best. Yeah. This, that's been a buildup leading to that kind of thing. I don't know if what you just said about Starenko saying not living up to the full dimension of the character did anything contribute to it like at least half the time he's not wearing his mask cap you I'm know, not his, sure his headpiece if you will just the commanding sense to the character you know mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so that's one for the for the books possibly but here it is Captain America First Avenger starting off with finding the uh, the frozen aircraft and taking us to Norway in 1942. Who let the Swedish chef, chef in? Yeah, he the Swedish chef. First you put the cheeky in the pot. Yes. Cheeky, cheeky, cheeky. Thank you. Okay. And the Tesseract, we're told, is the jewel of Odin's treasure room. I believe Schmidt had said made that statement. But as we hear a couple times throughout the film... When Steve gets into an altercation because he's trying to watch the preview to a movie in the theater and they're running, you know, ads for joining the service and somebody's yelling, start the movie, you know, okay, can you show a little respect, he's saying, you know, and they go out into the back alley and he gets his butt kicked, but he can say, he says, I can do this all day. And I have to ask you this, that version of Steve Rogers, the scrawny Steve Rogers, it's a lot of CGI and, you know, a body, you know, a different body with his head. They made him thinner. How did that make you feel seeing that? Because to an extent, I'm just like, wow, that's really cool. But also you can tell it's CGI. You know what I mean? I wasn't looking to see, oh, yeah, that doesn't look real. But that is what I had heard, that, yes, they were making him look thinner, which is kind of the opposite of, in a lot of cases, what they would do in making making the movie and changing the physical size of an actor, and I'm sure it was a bit of a challenge, but now with the technology and the technique, maybe not as difficult this this time around. But it made me feel pretty good because it was like the comic book. He was thin, scrawny, un- ineligible to enlist. Because of that, because of like the movie said, you, you know, the asthma alone will get you the re- the rejection letter and so on. But his perseverance holds up, and he's able to get in because. Erskine sees what he wants to do, and he says, you want to kill Nazis? He says, I don't want to kill anyone. Yeah, and that shows the kind of character that Steve Rogers is. Yeah. And hearing that and his whole I don't like bullies line in this film. Right. Oh, my God, like the the goosebumps I got from those. Sure, sure. That is where it's... I wouldn't say the personification of him being the commanding character, but more of the command... or more of the personality of... The guy who's looking out for the little guy. Right. Because he was the little guy. And it's what makes Captain America such a powerful character. And, like, you know, he'll there's a lot of legendary lines. And, like, it's interesting that one of his most legendary lines from the comics was delivered in the movies, but not by him. And that was the whole, during the Agent Carter funeral from Captain America Civil War, Agent 13 saying... When they tell you to move, you say no. You stand your ground. That whole speech is from a Spider-Man comic from oh. Civil War. Oh, boy. Okay. And it's interesting to me because, you know, 
he's got they when Captain America is written well, hot damn he's written well. <laughs> like right now, and by the way, I highly recommend if you're reading comics right now, check out the Mark Wade, Chris Samney, Captain America run. Not just because the art of Samney is friggin' gorgeous. Like if you loved his Daredevil run, oh boy. But that Captain America thumbs up over here. I think also from what I heard and was told when I do get to read it, it was the Ed Brubaker run. Yes. Brew oh my god. Brubaker did one of the best Captain America runs to the point where, you know, he even technically took a character that already existed and made a new character out of it. <laughs> How many people can say they did that? Uh, right. Right. It's the coolest thing about, you know, the brew. So yeah. Now you can't have Captain America without a great supporting cast and a great villain. You know, you have Hugo Weaving playing the role of the Red Skull, who I want to see him back in a Marvel movie. They have to find a way to bring him back. Did he die? We don't know. No. But Hugo has to come back for, like, a future film. I don't care how, but he has to because he was definitely an ominous, chilling villain. As Johann Schmidt, yes, we are introduced to him. Unlike... The, going back to the 1990 version. With pepperoni on his head. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Most of the time, you don't see him in the Red Skull persona. But in a... Uh, in this movie. In in the 1990 version, he's just a scarred face, head, but it's flesh coloring for his skin. And that's how he is post-suspended animation. Post-Red Skulling. Yeah. That kind of thing. Whereas this, he you know peels off the mask that is his face, and we're as we're and you sitting, get an accurate version of of what Red Skull looks like. And as we're sitting here, Eddie has the TV on behind us, and he has Captain America on mute right now. And while Eddie was talking, I got to see the scene where you know Red Skull ripped off his face, and it is so creepy looking. And that's. That's a major benefit of the, you know, Marvel Studios, how they make the characters from the page come to life on the big screen. And that's a prime example of it to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good Red Skull look in there. There's a couple of them that are here in Marvel Manor. When you really think of it, Red Skull is a hokey character, and yet they did such a great job making that character look awesome. They, you know? Yeah, yeah, evil personified and the direct opposite, if you think of Captain America in all his goodness and all his grandeur, not that he's looking for the accolades, but all those positives, what's the complete polar opposite to him? Red Skull. Absolutely. I think more than any other villain that he's been up against. You know, you can make comparisons with Spider-Man and other characters who's the normal one villain that the one goes up against adversary, but with Cap, it's Red Skull. Yeah. Hands down. And it's interesting that they have not brought him back. Like, find a way. You know, this is the Marvel Universe. Time travel happens. Do something with time travel. Bring him through. <laughs> yeah, well, that, because maybe, but I would love more than anything to see Iron Man interact with, you know, a villain like him. And the funniest thing is, we're not even touching the surface in terms of characters in this movie. You know, you have Agent Carter, who is his love interest in this film, and she's played by Haley Atwell. Yep. And she would even go on to have her own TV series, you know, Agent Carter, which lasted for two seasons, should have lasted longer, because from what I did see of the series, it was a great show. Yes, the first one especially, and I'm not quite sure why 
they thought it necessary that she go to California. They, they moved her across the country. And maybe part of that was why it faltered and didn't last any, any further. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, she, she has like such a cool look to her in, you know, the Agent Carter TV series too. Yes. You know, that the she red She was very hat, consistent. Yes. Yes, absolutely. To the point where I've seen cosplayers That's in what I was that, going to in bring that up. character. Yeah. And it's been like, wait a minute, are you Agent Carter? You know, so I've been lucky enough to be in Captain America garb and get a picture with a, an Agent Carter. That's fantastic. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. And you have her and it leads to that crushing scene at the end where after Cap gets unfrozen and he's you know standing in Times Square and he goes I had a date. I had a date. The last line of that movie. And it's of this movie we're talking about. That's the line where they take the knife that was already in your heart from the whole scene of him in the plane crashing. Yeah. And they just twist it further. They don't care. It's now it's a corkscrew knife they have. That's what they put in your chest. So when that happens, that's one of those very powerful lines in the Marvel universe. Like that, in my opinion, is on par with. And it killed me when I put the cancer in your mother, Peter. Whoa! That is on par with that for me. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Very pow- Like one of. The mo- and by the way, I've always found it funny. That's the one line from Guardians Volume Two that everyone references. I've heard a lot of people reference how like intense that scene was. So yeah, if it- this needs a rewatch. Okay. Oh hell yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, because you've just gone leaps and bounds ahead on this uh, on this movie. We could be ending now. No, not quite. Oh, but- we still we still have different characters that like. Yeah. This is the thing about this movie I like. It did world building, but not for the modern world building. You know no, I mean? because we we you said world. I just thought and wrote the the world exposition of tomorrow, nineteen forty three, yeah. in the modern Marvels Pavilion. Howard Stark, played by Dominic Cooper, who would actually go on to play Jesse Custer on AMC's Preacher. And I find it really funny that the actor who plays Howard Stark as you know an older man was on Mad Men, which is on AMC, and Dominic Cooper plays Jesse Custer on Preacher. Which is on AMC. So it's an AMC fest. What can you it's, do? It's a Stark fest. That's it. That's why I have a weird, weird feeling that we're gonna have like a long lost, you know, Stark brother in a future <laughs> film, and it's gonna be played by Brian Cranston. <laughs> Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Because I got to get Breaking Bad in there somehow. Yeah. Maybe throw an Andrew Lincoln, you know, for Walking Dead. We don't know. We don't know. But we know that was a there was a flying car that was debuted in the Expo of Tomorrow. And it I didn't ha- really go too far, but you know. I have to ask: Is that you know? Building up to the eventual Lola? Sure. For Agent Coulson? Mm-hmm. It's got to. Mr. Tahiti himself. It's got to. That's right. From Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't win the war until I get there. But that was another line from that I remember that uh, Steve says to Bucky. But he's going to try on a list again. And that's where he meets Dr. Abraham Erskine. And says and tells him, welcome to the, the SSR, the Strategic Scientific Research in the character being played by Stanley Tucci. And through, you know, putting him through to be the experiment that is going to be the super soldier serum gets the ranking of not 4F, but 1A. So pass. In other words, and he's, he's the almost like to, a, uh, is this a test? He's almost like up. a father figure to him. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. we don't see Steve's parents. No. But we get that father-son relationship with the doctor and Steve. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And then the second time, 
when the when the grenade is tossed into the field or into the soldiers uh, in the yard, the the area that they're doing their exercises, and everybody else scatters, but Steve Rogers jumps on it and tells everybody to get away. He's willing to sacrifice himself again. Is this a test? Very good. Very good use of that. And then being explained by Erskine about the characteristics of what the serum will do, where he says good becomes great, bad becomes worse. And then, of course, we see the infusion and the Vita rays that are being used. Vita ray bill? Vita ray bill. Wow. And yeah, you know, you also get the introduction of another group of characters, the Howland Commandos, which... Later on, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those you forget that they're actually in this universe because in the comics, you know, you have Dum Dum Dugan who is in the current continuity in, you know, our time and age. And yet in here, they only existed in the 40s, you yeah. know, and... And not with Captain America. Although, wait, there's there's a crossroads there, I think, because in some vein... It's Captain America and his Howling Commandos. Yeah, instead of Nick Fury, because Nick Fury is a completely different character in a completely different time. Yeah. And I would say, let me ask you, do you think they could have done a Howling Commandos TV series or even its own movie based on this version of the team, you know, maybe post-cap or pre-cap? I think it could have worked and, you know, find a way to incorporate maybe one of the... uh, lesser characters because in this movie we get you know an easter egg of the original human torch which i find hilarious who was captain america known as playing johnny storm the human torch and in this movie we see the original human torch the synthetic man yes that's so right. maybe you know you see synthetic man maybe he plays a role with the howling commandos maybe namor does we don't know no we don't i don't know if that could have could have worked uh, having the commandos take a more prominent like their well, own movie. Right, exactly. Or a show. Their own thing. Yeah, yeah. A show could have worked, absolutely. Possibly. Yeah. Personally, possibly. I would watch that. Sure. I would, too, just to see where they where they go with it. I think they did represent the characters very well, especially Dum Dum with his bowler-type hat and his cry of, Wahoo! It was well. literally seeing the characters on the page hit the big screen, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no question it was. It was very good. Of course, the first sad thing we find is Erskine gets shot by the uh, spy who Cap goes after and eventually captures, but then he apparently dislodges the this character, a cyanide pill, which he crunches and, and foams at the mouth. And before, he's got he, before he's done, he says, you know, cut off one head, two more will take its place. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. And then here we go. It's one of those where you see this stuff. And again, it's funny with how many characters in this movie. You know, you also have Tommy Lee Jones, you know, drill instructor character, who... Colonel Phillips. He's there. As a patent, or mentioning patent, actually. But he helps as a character, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you also have Arnim Zola. Eddie, tell people about him. A kind of a longtime uh, Cap adversary. The way they have him in the movie is, is working under the auspices of, under Hitler's Germany. But then when... Johann Schmidt says to him that he has harnessed the power of the gods and, and Hydra could grow no further in Hitler's shadow. Schmidt is breaking away from Hitler's philosophy and, te- and what he intends to do. So now he's going out on his own because he's now mass-produced the Tesseract power, that white, bluish power glowing, flamey, not quite flame, but into weapons 
that are portable, that upon firing disintegrates a human being into, into ether, into nothingness. So he, he kind of crosses over with him that way. So it starts to take a different direction. Yes, you've got the base of the German influence in the war, but now Hydra will grow up separate from that and become its own entity, which we will see later, that it has infiltrated the inner workings of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. itself. I have to ask, does it weird you out sometimes when you see people go on that they love Hydra and they go, I wish I was in Hydra, when you realize technically no. Hydra are Nazis? Just, yeah, yeah. It weirds me out just a little bit. No, I don't. I don't. I haven't seen anything like that. The furthest, the closest I'd gotten to was really seeing someone who dresses in one of those costumes. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But, Mad, I, I've seen, but not in person, a, a Madame Hydra in the green, the green ensemble. Personally, I want to meet a Bob agent of Hydra just because. Uh, As a big Deadpool fan, I think it'd be cool. Fast forward a little bit to to Captain America, the showman, and here comes the star-spangled man with a plan. And I love that song they use for this. The and whole, you know, the scene with him. So you know. fitting the time that it was set in and so on. And now it's Italy and the end of 1943. And Wait, did we end up in Captain America 1990? No, no, that's, that's going back to the film that we're done talking about. Good. <laughs> so, but but him coming out and saying, who wants to help me sock Hitler in the jaw? Oh, Adolf in the jaw. And, and the guys are just like, yeah, whatever. That's one of the things I love about this. I love the fact that, you know, you see all these little allusions to the original comics, you know, from the 40s, 50s, and you see, like, a live-action reenactment of the whole him punching Hitler. And then you see also, they show the little comic books that they're giving to the kids. Oh, yeah. And what is it? A reprinting of Captain America comics, number one. That's, it's cool. That's good. I wanted one. <laughs> when Don't, I saw the, big, the, the kids had I said, oh, I want one. I want one, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I wonder those copies that were in the movie. Do you think they've been sold at conventions, like seen on the film, you know, something like that? Imagine how much one of those goes for. I don't know. Maybe it's it's quite possible. Yeah, it is. And then of course, getting getting you know, he's the showman. He's getting pelted by the guys in the in the crowd, whether it's with tomatoes or whatever. Bring back the dancing girls. You know, I think they only know one song. I'll get them back. You know, that kind of. That's all they care about, and that's fine. And, and of course, Cap does a sketch. Where Agent Carter comes, finds him, and says, "Are you the lab rat or the dancing monkey?" And that's just kind of a kind of a funny thing. Like, all right, what are you going to do now? So, and, and then again, some like really good lines, like we've been saying. And uh, Captain or Sergeant, oh, I forget his ranking. Phillips, the Tommy Lee Jones character. If you have something to say right now, is a perfect time to keep it to yourself. It's, it's it's just fun. My favorite thing still was when he's when Tommy Lee Jones's character is looking at the you know the row of all the different soldiers, and then he just looks at Skinny Steve Rogers, and it's just like, yeah, uh, it's that you can see the resentment and just utter disappointment. Absolutely right. Even after he, what did he do? Uh, the grenade. He's still skinny. And we really haven't covered these that much lately in the last couple uh, couple of episodes. But Stan Lee's cameo in this film, I absolutely loved. Yes. And it might be actually my second favorite out of all the cameos we've seen thus far up to film five. Um, I just, I found it really funny with the whole, he sees, you know, a random person. I thought he was supposed to be bigger. Yeah, I thought he'd be taller. I love, I love exactly. stuff like yeah. that. When when he's supposed to be uh, Captain America getting presented with that uh, uh, that medal and he's nowhere to be found. 
Because he's off doing what he's going to do, you know. Yeah. For all the right reasons. He's not there to get the accolades and get the medals and distinction and so on. But there's a part there where, where, where Cap and Zola are at opposite ends of a hallway. So there's a brief... And the camera focuses on them looking at each other down the hallway. That's all that happens. And that should trigger off something like, okay, this is going to be something later. Which is true when it comes to the Winter Soldier, I think. But he finds Bucky on a, on a table. I guess he was maybe undergoing some drug experimentation, it's possible. And they're another foreshadowing of what's to come. And it's funny because we've been, you know, we, we've been talking about all these other characters, but we haven't talked about one of the most important ones, Bucky, you know, played by Sebastian Stan. The sidekick. And yeah, he, again, he does a great job of playing off of Cap. And it's kind of funny because we don't get that version of the story, you know, from the comics where, oh, where are you, Steve? Wait a minute, you're Captain America. Yes, right. We don't get that, which no. I like because that version is a little bit too hokey, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, no, the only thing you get with that really is when, when Cap finds Bucky... And of course, is happy that from his division in one hundred seventh that he's he's happy. No, that's among, John Favreau among the living. Happy Nelson. I didn't say Nelson. Norfog. I mean, happy. But Steve uh, says to Bucky, "I thought you were dead." And Bucky, in turn, says to Steve, "I thought you were smaller." Yeah. So there's a good interaction with you, and then he says, and then he, meaning Bucky, says to Steve, "What happened to you?" And he says, "I joined the army." Well, yeah. As to explain why, how did he get so? strong and, and everything. So big and muscular. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the and the uh, ironic line that uh, the soon-to-be demask Red Skull says, Captain America, how exciting. I am a great fan of your films. Because that's all he was doing, you know, to boost the war effort, and they were being shown in the theaters. He was being the, the showman, the entertainer, and just appearing in, in these films where they were, you know, he was leading a battalion with guns and his shield busting and, in bunkers and all that stuff. And you don't see him, you know, like for for part of the film, he's not this soldier. And like some of the people are like looking on like in disbelief, like, oh, like he'll do anything. He's just a prop. And what does he do? He does his thing. He does his thing. With Captain America style. <laughs> so now before we wrap this episode up, Eddie, is there anything else you want to talk about? Hey, let's hear it for Captain America. Well, that was a Bucky line, sorry. But you know what? They come to they they come to it later. The development of a key element is the shield. Yeah. And not the organization. Made out of vibranium. Because we're at the part where Howard Stark is going to help Steve Cap in the field and he says, What's this for? Oh, it's just a prototype, you know, whatever, but it's of the rarest metal. It stops there as to and we find out in a future film where that metal has come from. Wacky Wakanda. Wacky Wakanda, yes. And then he says, of course, after Agent Carter shoots at Cap with the shield up, and she says, I think it works. He says, I, uh, Steve says to Howard, I had some ideas about the uniform. And he says, you got it, buddy. So, you know, we get to that. We get to the part where we lose Bucky, supposedly, on the train, on the train scene, fighting, fighting, uh, trying to get Zola, who is captured. And then again, cut off one head, two more should take its place. And a sobering fact, so to speak, that Steve Rogers, with his enhanced abilities, in trying to mourn his best friend's loss, says, I, I can't get drunk. Yeah. All these little things, you know, kind of together. Because that metabolism and everything. Yeah, right, right. Four and, times. And then he, he, he gets uh, 
He gets captured eventually. In what I'm going to call, it's, it's actually triangular because there's three guys with flamethrowers that box him in. But I said, oh, Cap got caught in a, in a ring of fire. A ring of fire. It burns, burns, burns. <laughs> That's right. Just like Johnny Cash. But, you know. Hello, I'm Steve Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall with this movie, let's get into our, I guess, overall review where we put in everything. See, I like the movie, but it wasn't my favorite. And... Because there was no post credit scene? There was a post credit scene, but it wasn't... All it was was just a clip from, I believe, Avengers and then an Avengers trailer, if I'm correct, wasn't it? The last thing I remember seeing is... Him Steve's, boxing. Well, yes, I'm sorry. The, the boxing part, too. Yeah, Which, yeah. if you really want to make this such a big world, you know, you know where he should have been doing that boxing in? Fogwell's gym. Oh, boy. That would have been great. But they didn't do it. Yeah. I understand why, because this was around the time that I believe Fox still had the Daredevil rights, because this was around the time they were going to reboot Daredevil one more time. Yeah. yeah. And it was going to be like a grindhouse kind of movie, which... I would have been down for, not going to lie. Not going to lie. That would have been cool. Yeah, yeah, right. But overall, I like the movie, and I didn't like it as much as Thor, but I did like it for how it was a period piece. You know what I mean? And the director of this movie, this is kind of his bread and butter a little bit, because what did the director of this movie direct as well? The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. And this, so that this wasn't even his first comic book movie. Yeah. So he has that, you know, the feel to it, the lighting, the overall atmosphere of these, you know, this world that they're in. It looks like it's the 1940s, you know? It's very, you know, like sepia colors and everything and just really cool. Sepia. But okay. I would still say I rank this a little under Thor. I'm going to keep it on the same level. Yeah? I am. Four and a four and three quarter shields. See, I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give this a four. Four? Yeah. And I would say my ranking, number five, the Incredible Hulk. Number four, Iron Man Two. Number three, Captain America. Number two, Thor. And number one with an arc reactor, Iron Man. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you keep ranking. One of our other questions that was given to us on our Facebook page earlier this week pertaining to this film was from a user by the name of Ryan Casey Duncan. And he asks, what would you do to improve Captain America, the movie? This one. This and one. I'm not entirely sure what I would have done. I would have maybe... I would have left it the way it was because it is good as is, you know? I think so. Uh, maybe put more of an emphasis on the Howland Commandos. Maybe, but not much. But otherwise, yeah, it was fine as it was. And it was a good introduction to the cosmic stuff with the Tesseract. Right. And thank you for bringing that up because I wanted to touch on that because towards the end of the film, before all heck hits the water... And I really don't count Thor as the introduction to the Tesseract because it's like the equivalent of a first appearance. Like, oh, you know, Wolverine was in 181 of Hulk. The Tesseract uh, made its appearance in 180 of Hulk. You know, it's like that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And the Tesseract had more of an importance. Consumes the Red Skull. 
that we can tell, and subsequently just dropped to the floor of the plane where the, the metal grates don't hold up to it, and it melts through one, two, three levels, let's say. It was a cool visual seeing that. falls through the plane and just drops down into down the down through the sky, you know, type of thing. And later we do see that Howard Stark, this technology and so retrieves the Tesseract mechanically. Um and a whole scene where Steve awakens wearing an SSR T shirt and listening to a baseball game that he actually went to when it was so he knew something was, was wrong. Something was awry. Awry, yeah. Not a pumpernickel. And speaking of things that are awry, as we're, you know, like I said, as we were recording, Eddie has on behind us Captain America, the first Avenger playing. And one of the things about this movie that actually bothered me was during the airplane fight at the very end, one of the Hydra agents gets thrown into a propeller and killed, and you see yeah. nothing but red mist. Yep. That might have been one of the most violent things I've seen in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, he just gets totally decimated. He gets vaporized. Yeah, pretty much, which may have been a more humane way than just to have cutting and slashing and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, there's no Wolverine in this movie, so he's fine. you know, there's another crossover type of thing. So Um, I'm trying to just double check the length of uh, 123 minutes. Yeah, two hours and four minutes. Okay. How much, you know, what else could you, the question being, what else could you have done? To, to make the character better, I, I don't know. One of the things that bothered me, probably, maybe the only thing, was the fact of uh, Cap carrying and using a gun. Right. When I first saw a statue, 12-inch statue that you could get for if you collect the characters in statue form, was him with a holster with a gun, pointed. That's not the Captain America I grew up with. You know, that leans it more towards him being a soldier in the war. So it makes sense that way, but... For me, old school, lighter blue of the red, white, and blue coloring costume. No, that's not my cap. But you know, you you adjust. Yeah. You you, you tweak. You make uh, make the change. Make that change. Not the man in the mirror. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> make that ja- change. Yes. Michael Jackson's bad. Nineteen. Change him at fifty, please. And so, what is next week's movie, Eddie? It will be. The Avengers. From 2012, and it's got an all-star cast. It's got Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Jeremy Renner, Scarlett Johansson. It's got Samuel L. Jackson, Clark Gregg, and the big bad of it all, Tom Hiddleston. Loki. So, Loki with the pokey stick. And, yeah, it's just, that's going to be an interesting one because I haven't seen that movie since the day I saw it in theaters in 2012 during Free Comic Book Day weekend. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. You've been missing it on regular, or just regular cable, maybe. I have. It's been on a boatload of times. And so I'm actually really looking forward to this also because there's a lot of moments in that movie that, you know, are very iconic in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And yeah, I can't wait to give it a watch again. So before we go, Eddie, let's go through the whole rigmarole of social media and all that good stuff. Go for it. Facebook.com. Slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Tell your friends about the show. Do it through social media, like Twitter, at The Marvelists, at Peter Melnick and yourself. At E. Wilson 959. If you're listening, use the hashtag The Marvelists. You can also find us on Instagram, at The Marvelists. 
and also give us a listen on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. And when you're on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Leave a five-star review. And also, when you're on iTunes, click the little link, share it over on Facebook, social media, let people know about this show, let our universe become a part of your universe. And finally, drop us a line on our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Like the show? Hate the show? Don't do the hate messages. Want a strongly worded letter? We don't know. We'll go. We'll read it. We'll read it on air. As long as there's no expletives, we're good. This kind of air. Yeah. Show the show. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. <laughs>